And he says, the father will come and you will have no part in the kingdom. There will be new tenants. Again, they, these are very clear messages to the audience that Jesus is speaking to, to, to the religious leaders of the, of the day. The third analogy, the third, the third part is a, is a wedding feast. And this is the start of chapter 22. There's a big wedding banquet. And uh, the, he, he says, man, go, go call the guests. It's time for the, time for the celebration. None of the guests can come. They all make excuses. They don't want to come. Uh, they can't come for whatever reason. And Jesus says, wow, uh, or the, not Jesus, the, in the story, in the parable of the, the wedding banquet, uh, the father says, well, well, go, go call other people. Go. We, we need to have a full banquet all day. They won't come. Then he says, go out to the highways and the byways and call them all in. And it was all of the people on the margins, all of the people that didn't fit in society. And they filled up the banquet hall. And again, the message is very clear to the audience that Jesus is speaking with. What is happening here? What is going on? And, and, and they get it. They understand. The, the, this last one, this wedding banquet one, there was a guy... From And it's kind of like uh, it's kind of like this. If you come to the feast, you need to be ready to be transformed by the feast. If you're going to come into the kingdom, be ready for what God is going to do in our lives. But the but the religious leaders they get it. They understand that they're out, and all of these unacceptable, unclean, heathen sinners are in and it's very very clear to them and that's all been on the on the if i can say it this way on the theological side of the whole thing that that matthew is talking about here that it, the stories about jesus and the parables that he's teaching they all have to do with the the with religion with theology and you know who makes it into the kingdom jesus stories are all about that well so finally the religious leaders they come and they say well we can't get him on theology, so let's try to get him on politics. You know, uh, we, Colleen and I were missionaries for 30 years, served in the Philippines and then Eastern Europe. Uh, most of our time was in, in Eastern Europe. And I mean, one of the cardinal rules for missionaries, no matter where you go in the world or Quite honestly, even in the United States, one of the cardinal rules for missionaries is do not talk about politics. Just flat out, don't talk about it. Don't talk about the local politics in Ukraine or Poland or Hungary or Philippines. Certainly don't talk about the U.S.'s international politics and how it intersects with Ukraine and Hungary and Poland. Just don't talk about politics well the Pharisees and, and this is the, the story today the Pharisees and the Herodians the followers of or the, the, the people that supported Herod they come to Jesus today in these verses verses 15 and they want to catch him in politics 
So they come. The Herodians, uh, they're, they're Jewish people that are followers of Herod. Herod Antipas, as his, as his name was, was the son of, of Herod the Great. So there's a couple Herods in the Bible. This is the, the second one. This is Herod Antipas. Herod the Great, of course, was, was ruling back when, when uh, Jesus was born. And, uh, and Herod, Herod the Great, I mean, they called him the Great because of all his building programs and primarily because he, he redid the temple and made it just stunningly beautiful. And um, he, he was trying to keep the Jews kind of um, dumb and under his thumb so that he could reap the benefits from Rome. And, uh, and he, he himself was, was Jewish, Herod the Great was. Uh, but his son, Herod Antipas, is the one that's ruling now. And the Herodians are the Jewish people that are, that are they're kind of pro-Herod, okay? They're, they're pro-Herod for a very um, specific reason. Um, I, I guess they, I, I would just say it this way. They were reaping benefits from the system. Okay, so one of the things that happened is that uh, Herod Antipas, he knew, he knew that the Jews couldn't stand Roman coins. Roman coins, no matter what, 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 who, who the emperor was, Roman coins always had a picture of the emperor on there, an image, and then they had underneath the image uh, that he was the high priest. And on the flip side, it actually called him Lord and the Son of God. Can't do that. Why? Why? I mean, think of the Ten Commandments. I mean, you shall have no image. Uh, there, there, is, there is one, I mean, Jews couldn't, and, and Herod Antipas knew that Jews just couldn't stomach that. There, there's no way they're even going to touch those coins. So what he for for them to do all of their commerce with and for them to do their daily uh, exchange to buy property to do whatever he, they had Jewish coins the one thing almost the one thing that had to be be paid uh, in in uh, Roman coinage was the temple tax you had to pay the tax because that went to Caesar that went to Rome you had to pay it in Roman coinage so what did they set up in the temple money changers to take your, your Jewish coins, trade them into Roman coins. They probably put them in a bag or some, something you didn't have to touch the actual coin with. And then you, you, you gave the tax to the, to the tax collectors, to, to the Roman. Again, they were Jews, but they worked for Rome. They were also benefiting from the system. But it was the money changers that really benefited. And Herod Antipas knew this. I mean, anytime you change money, you, you lose. <laughs> I'll just say it that way. You lose. Uh, you go to you go to Ukraine and you get Grivny. You lose. Uh, you you give them a hundred dollars. 
you you don't you probably get about 90 back in in Ukrainian currency you just lose anytime you change money anywhere in the world well, Herod Antipas had that figured out, and the Herodians had that figured out, and they were profiting from the system, if I can say it that way. And they were interested in keeping Herod Antipas in power so that the system stayed in power, so they would be called political conservatives. They wanted to conserve the system that was. Okay, they were the Herodians. And so they show up with the Pharisees, and they're going to try to trap Jesus with a very politically charged question. And the question is simple. Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Now, that is a, I mean, to us, it doesn't seem that big of a deal, but that's very, for them, at that day, that was an incredibly politically charged question. know if I want to actually read what I wrote down here um, my wife is telling me no <laughs> she doesn't know what I wrote but she just knows how I think um, <laughs> Well, let me let me fill in a little gap here well no I won't never mind uh, so Jesus says yes pay the tax then all of his followers and he had more than 12 folks he had more than just a couple hundred he had the nation okay we're talking thousands of they're following Jesus when he goes in on a little, on a colt into, into, into Jerusalem, I mean, they're throwing their coats and palm branches down. I mean, he's like the king coming. I mean, it was, it was, it was a festival. There were people from all over the nation and they were just like, yes, he's here. I mean, they, there was a following. And if Jesus says to the, to the Pharisees and the Herodians, yeah, pay the tax. <laughs> they, they. The, the followers, the masses following Jesus would just say, you know, they're all the same. It doesn't matter who you elect. They all end up being politicians when they get to Helena. They all end up being politicians when they get to Washington, D.C. They all end up being politicians when they arrive in Jerusalem. And you can just imagine the masses. Politically charged question. And they knew it. The Pharisees and the, and the Herodians knew it. If he says, no, don't pay the tax, then you got the Herodians standing right there and they said, ha ha. We caught you. You're a zealot. You know what we do to zealots? We crucify them. You want to upset the whole system. You want to rebel against Rome. You're, you're a zealot. Don't pay the tax. Rebel against Rome. And they would have had his head. Hence, the Herodians were right there. He says, whose image is on the coin? 
Caesar's? They answer. And Jesus just says simply, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. Now here's one of the things. Uh, a lot of people, many people kind of see that as a, I don't know if I would say justification, but they see that as a, as a way to, to say, you know, we kind of live in two different worlds, two different spheres if I can say it that way. We, we, have to, we have to pay taxes. We have to, we have to live. We have to, uh, well, this year it wasn't April 15th, but, but generally it's April 15th here in the United States. And, and we, have to, we have to pay our taxes. We have to live in this world. We have to pay our, our electric bill. We have to, we have to live in the, in the real world. And then we have our Christian life, our Christian world. The problem with that is, is it leads to just that. It leads to a, a dual kind of a, a way of thinking. And that, that, we're, that we ourselves are not unified in our, in our thinking, in, our, in who we are. And that our world is kind of split in two. And that's tough. That's tough. That makes, that makes for Sunday Christians. It makes for, for, I mean, some of these songs that we were singing, some of those songs, they're powerful. Those words that we were singing up here, man, if you, if, just read it. You don't, if you don't sing, that's fine, but read those words, say them out loud with your, with your mouth. It's powerful stuff that we're confessing, that we're saying, that, that we're, we're professing, that we believe. It's powerful stuff. And then we hear messages, and, and some of them are powerful, some of them aren't. But we're, we're understanding truths about God's kingdom and about God himself and about ourselves. And, and then we walk out of here. And we go back to work tomorrow morning. Or we have to go shovel snow this afternoon. Or we have to go, uh, go help a neighbor get their, their car started or their garage unfrozen. Uh, I met somebody this morning who was, who was late because... And so couldn't get their car out of the garage. Um, and we, we, as we say, get back into the real world. You ever heard that one? Well, I live in the real world. And we have to go, you know, we have to work in it. We have to live in it. We have to pay our taxes in it. We have to pay all of our bills in it. We have to send our kids to school in it. We, we um, I, you know, I live in the real world. But on Sunday, that's a different day. That's my day with God. And we get this dual way of thinking. I, I don't think I have to keep going on that one. I think you guys get it. I think you get it. A lot of people understand Jesus' phrase about give to Caesar what is Caesar and give to God's what is God's. 
they understand Jesus as saying, yeah, you have this dual world and, and give due where it's due and give due where it's due in both worlds. That, however, would be incredibly inconsistent with everything else Jesus has said. Everything else throughout the entire word, not, not just Matthew 22. Here's what's radical about what Jesus said. Jesus said, and, and I wish I had a big old silver coin. All I could find in my truck was a penny. Okay. Uh, so, but, but here, here's the radical thing that Jesus said. Whose image is on the coin? Caesar's. Yeah, this is Abe. Good old Abe. Give to Caesar what is Caesar. Whose image is on you? Whose image is on you? That's the radicalness of it all. I'll give you a little time to think about that. Genesis says you and I were made in his image. Yeah, things went wrong. We kind of we kind of blew it. We kind of sort of erased. We can't really erase, but we kind of messed up that image. But when things can be restored and God's image can be renewed on us, in us, we are to be his reflection. He's all over us. He has claimed us. Everything we have belongs to him. Are, are you tracking with me here? That's, that's out, of, uh, out of Genesis. The, the Ten Commandments come along and they say, no other God before, before you, before you, or before me. No graven images. Again, <laughs> why no graven images? graven image of God it's because how can we make an image of him when he is making his image on us I hope you're tracking with me here he God is making his image on us So no graven images. And then the, the, the third commandment, it's pretty powerful too. If he's making his image on us, then I am representing him everywhere I go. All the time, not just on Sundays. 
And so he says, third commandment, <laughs> be careful how you use my name. For me, this was just really powerful stuff. I just thought, wow, lots of pieces are falling together here. But Jesus says, basically, yeah, Caesar, give back to Caesar what's he. He can have his little domain, his temporary uh, empire, and, and give back to, to Caesar what is Caesar's. Okay, we do live in this world. Give back to Caesar what is his, but give to God what is God's. <laughs> so what's God's? All of it. All of it. That's the radicalness, folks, of this faith that you and I are a part of. God has it all. God has all the coins with Caesar's image on them, or Abe, or Ben Franklin, or whoever. He's got them all. He's got all of us. So you and I get to decide what to do. Here's the thing. Being a follower of God, being a disciple, being a believer, being a Christian transcends, transcends being an American or Ukrainian or Filipino or, or whatever. Pick, pick one. <laughs> it transcends it. It doesn't nullify it. It doesn't mean it's absolutely meaningless and just throw it away. No, 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 no. I did not say that. Being a Christian transcends our political parties. Being a Christian transcends rich and poor. Powerful thing. Powerful thing. When Jesus overthrew the, the, the money changers in the temple, I'm, I'm kind of going back a little bit. When Jesus overthrew the money changers in the, in the, in the temple, he was over, yeah, he was overthrowing the, the tables and he's saying, oh, you're, it's a den of thieves and you're, you know, my father's house is to be a house of prayer. Yeah, yeah, yes. But Jesus, I mean, those were the immediate truths, but Jesus was overturning a system of these money changers that were taking advantage of the poor. He was much bigger than just flipping over a few tables. But, but, but being in his kingdom, being part of his kingdom transcends male and female, nationality, political party, rich and poor. It transcends that. Again, it does not nullify and make it irrelevant, but it transcends it. 
And, and, and here's, here's where the real, the real thing comes. Christianity is not about like accepting something and then cruising the rest of your life. Oh, yeah, I'm good. I'm, I'm making it to heaven. I, I paid my fire insurance. I had a pastor introduce himself to me one time that way. I asked him. I said, well, I didn't know he was a pastor. What do you do? Oh, I sell fire insurance. I said, fire insurance? That's pretty specific. He goes, yeah. I mean, I, usually you say I'm an insurance uh, you know, salesman or something. He's fire insurance. He's a pastor. You know, Keep people out of hell. Yeah, yeah it's, it was not tactful. It was very untactful. But, but here's the thing. Some of us as Christians, some of us get that mindset of, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm covered. I'm good. And now God's going to bless me. God's going to do all of these things for me. And we're going to be, you know, healthy, wealthy, and wise. No. No. Being a Christian calls us... calls us to understand that we're citizens of, a, of, of God's kingdom. We're citizens of his kingdom at the same time that we're citizens of this world. Again, it doesn't nullify it. But what it requires of us is to live in this world as, as rich or poor, as uh, red or blue, as American or Ukrainian or whatever nationality you want to pick in the world. It requires us to live in this world as a citizen of a different kingdom. It transcends all of these. And so when we're faced with the decision, okay, what am I going to do? What am I going to do with the images in my pocket. It's not a question of just simply, you know, oh, I, I need to pay my bills, I need to pay my rent, I need to, uh, uh, you know, oh yeah, I, 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 should, I should give to the church a little bit. And uh, no, 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 we're, we're citizens of a different kingdom. And I need to realize that the, the king of that kingdom, he's got all of this. This is all his. It's not mine. I mean, I think I worked for it. And I put in and I paid my dues and I did the hard work and this is mine. No, no, no. We're, we're citizens of a different kingdom. And we understand that God, God has all of us. All of us. He has every day of the week in our lives. He has all of our money. He has, he has all of our stuff. It's all his. So the question isn't, what do I want to do with this? Or how, what, how much am I going to give to God or the church? Or It's all his. So it's, the question is, God, how do you want me to relate to this? How do you want me to interact, if you will, this will sound funny, but with my boat? or with my four-wheeler, or with all of my stuff, all my toys. I don't have any of those toys, but, but if you have toys, whatever those toys might be. 
God, how do you want me to relate if I'm red? How do you want me to relate to blue? Want me to relate to South American, to Ukrainian, to uh, Asia? How, how do you, God, want me to relate? I know, I know what our world is telling me how to relate. You have to turn the TV on for about five minutes. You understand how to relate to the Chinese. They're responsible for all of this. That's pretty clear. How the world wants But we're not in this, we're in this world, we're not of this world. God, what do you think about the Chinese? The Filipinos, <laughs> the South Americans, Central Americans, Eastern Europeans. How do you, God, want me to, what do you want me to say? How do you want me to speak to them? And send the message of this world. Jesus asking whose image is on this coin and the answer being Caesar. And then the implied question is, and whose image is on you? It's a question of identity. It's a question of what, what, what marks you? What, what, if I can say it this way, a little more contemporary for me, what owns you? What owns you? That's what Jesus is asking here. It's radical. It's an incredibly radical statement. Oh, wow. They get it. They got it. They're smart folks. But they could not imagine giving up the system that they had to follow this guy named Jesus. But the prostitutes, tax collectors, this guy, this guy has words of life. Life. It wasn't just always oh, we get a free meal. You guys are missing the boat, fellas, the, 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 the religious leaders. But the question is, what mark? What's the stamp on us? And is it different on Sundays than it is on Thursdays? Does this own us? If it's the empire that we're a part of, it's temporary. <laughs> it's temporary. The kingdom that you and I are citizens of is eternal. 
if we are, as the Bible would say, dependent on chariots and horses <laughs> to rescue us or to help us out or to, uh, uh, to do something for us, then, then we need to turn the other way and run to God. The question today from Jesus himself, it's to me and it's to you, and it's been stirring in me <laughs> since I read these passages on, on Monday, this past Monday. And I've had to ask that all week long and this week, we were involved in all kinds of different stuff. I mean, yesterday, I was hunting in a snowstorm. And I thought, does this silly gun own me? <laughs> or the tag in my pocket for the, the deer or elk or whatever? Or my leisure, does that own me? I can't say yesterday was really leisurely. <laughs> but, but it was leisure. Does that own me? And the people I was with were all people that I work with. And I thought, you know, does my job. Place is beautiful. Goodness. Jesus' question is powerful. It's radical. And we're part of that radical faith. Hopefully, you're thinking about some of this stuff. I invite you to ask God to go with you every day this week. Every hour. Every minute of this week. In all of your interactions. And just say, God, whose image is on me now? Whose image is on me now? Every, every, every moment, whose image? Church of Nazarene, we call that sanctification. We call that everything. He is Lord of all, not just our money, not just our toys, not just a day. He's got it all. And he has all of me. We... We call that in the Nazarene church, Church of Nazarene, sanctification. All sold out, 100% gods. I, do, do we have a closing song? As we sing this last song, I invite you to, to pray. Sing. Give your heart to God in prayer and ask him to search you and, and maybe you already know what image is on you, but ask him, Lord, show me what image is on myself. Let's, uh, let's stand and sing together, those that can, and, uh, and lift our hearts to God. Alone, cornerstone, 
weak made strong in the Savior's love through the storm he is Lord Lord of and righteous One more time, Christ alone. Father God, maybe we just recognize. To others around us, God. trust you and reflect you in everything we do.